everyone to Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. This is our very first recording, our very first episode, um, the first foray into the podcasting world from a meme account that was started five years ago for really no good reason um, that uh, obviously has resonated with some people and I hope that um, this podcast does the same thing. Uh, today, I have a very special guest. I have Jack from the Perfume Nationalist. Uh, we're going to be discussing what I think is probably the most foundational passage uh, in the New Testament, uh, which is the Sermon on the Mount, uh, starting in Matthew 5. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on. I mean, this is this is so much fun. Yeah, no, this this is uh, actually probably the most excited I've ever been to go on someone else's podcast because of the concept of this. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm such a huge fan of uh, Turf Joi with Trans Regret Snoopy, which I view <laughs> as the not only the greatest podcast title ever. But that episode is um, one of the legends of experimental art podcasting, uh, in my opinion. So, very happy to be here. Thank you, thank you so much. It's the war and peace of podcast episodes. It is. It's, it's a legendary, a legendary thing, and I, I think about it like several times a day. Um, like this two and a half hour discussion of uh, like the thirty second preview of the Turf Joi. <laughs> video um and i like that that title just sticks in everyone's head like a mantra like i kept like posting it and everybody it just brings a little joy to everyone's day whenever they think of that title um but this does i have to tell you this seems preordained i'm big about uh listening to synchronicities and recently um, my mom has been giving me big boxes of my stuff to uh, like get rid of or go through. And my mom is the type who's saved every single piece of paper that I've ever touched in 33 years. So um, right before this, I was going through uh, just huge boxes of my childhood drawings. And like 75% of them are drawings of Snoopy and Snoopy's sister, Belle, who's just uh, Snoopy with eyelashes and a pink bow. Except I made her look even more uh, hoary. Like, I was obsessed with high heels and uh, lipstick. And so I just have these just boxes and boxes of essentially trans regret Snoopies from 30 years ago. It's really weird. <laughs> I, I have the pleasure of seeing one uh, right now and will definitely be... Um including a link or, or some, maybe some, some version of this picture uh, in connection to the Can you paywall that picture and it. just kind of siphon those funds <laughs> to me, like create a separate paywall? We'll, we'll okay. work out the royalties <laughs> when we start making money. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the web store didn't pan out to be very, uh, very profitable, so I'm not sure how this one will. But, uh, Wait, the web store actually we'll existed? See. Yeah, and you sold the, the shirts with the memes on them? I sold, yeah, I sold about, I think, 10 shirts and hats total, and then PayPal locked down my account, so I, um, 
it, it was honestly it's such a dumb issue there's like $30 uh, locked up in a PayPal <laughs> account now somewhere they, I would buy them if uh, you um, you should make it a plus size only shop um, uh, I'll buy them if you do like 2x 3x <laughs> Uh, editions of oh, them because all cool t-shirts I can never buy because I'm like 6'4 and like um, uh, uh, a very large uh, bear physique man um, I recently uh, asked uh, my friend Maggie Dunlap who makes those male fantasy shirts with the, the logo of the book male fantasies that like cool girls uh, wear I had to ask her to make a 3x one for me and she did so um <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, no one likes being poured into a shirt. I'm I'm fairly large <laughs> myself. So, uh, well, I guess we could just jump in. Um, I uh, I'll start with the uh, ESV translation. Um, this is uh, my preferred uh, translation, but I also have the I've got actually onion skins laid out all in front of me here. I've got the voice. Uh, translation. I've got the ESV. I've got my phone with the um, NASB, and uh, and then I've also got a poem. I think I'm going to read later on in the in the show. That I don't know why, but there's some cosmic connection in my brain uh, to that. Okay, so, and you're just uh, my teacher here because like I'm a I'm a Christian, but I uh, have not been to a church officially in you know like 20 years. Um, and I had, this is the first like Bible study class that I've really been to. Um, I grew up Southern Baptist and, uh, like my faith never really wavered. I'm, I just have a strange, um, Catholic imagination, even though I'm not Catholic whatsoever. Um, but I was excited <laughs> to read this. Um, and like, I'm really stupid on, uh, knowing what the different parts of the Bible are. And I'm like, Oh, this is I know all of this. <laughs> it's like this is like the greatest hits. Like everything comes from this. <laughs> the really really important yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. I I was um, I guess it probably would be useful for me to give a little background on myself too because I'm I'm far from a theologian. I'm I'm um, I guess you could say born again, but not in the in the um, charismatic kind of uh, American tradition. But I'm I was raised Catholic. I. Um, sort of fell away from faith in, you know, uh, middle school and high school, like many people do, when they discover what sex is and what drugs are and, and how good they feel. And um, in the last year or so, I kind of came back to, to God and, and tried to sort of find what resonated with me about, um, about Jesus and, and his teachings and, and his ministry and Obviously, given who I am, there are things in, in the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, that um, I don't super vibe with, to, to use the lingo of, of the modern day. But there, um, there, there's a lot in here that um, is so important uh, as far as knowing how, as a human being, we should be treating other human beings. And also very hopeful in, in knowing that... Um, there is uh, like really truly uh, a great power that's uh, looking out for us and and has our best interest and our salvation at heart and I think having gone through some difficult times in my life this was uh, uh, really a saving grace for me in in a number of ways and not in you know I know that sounds a little cliche but uh, yeah no it's really important same for me and 
I've never had like an official like atheist phase like many people do in high school. Like I um, came out as gay when I was 14 or 15, uh, which would have been 2001 or 2002. Um, and the nobody was ever mean to me. I was never like bullied. I don't have any bullying stories. Um, because I have a certain uh, commanding personality and also intimidating physique that people don't really mess with. Um, but the people at church were very gossipy about my parents and it kind of reflected negatively on them. And we quit, quit going to church because of that. And then I'm this person who has always been into like, you know, transgressive art and, you know, the, the furthest limits of transgressive artistic experience and some really weird stuff um and mm. i think a common experience for a lot of gay people in their early 20s is that you uh when you start hanging out with other gay people for the first time you can end up in really bad crowds <laughs> and um uh, <laughs> just kind of uh taken advantage of and manipulated by uh very godless kind of uh, punk libertine people and this is how I connected with our mutual friend uh, Ashley Christlover2000 because um, she did an episode mm -hmm. with Contbot where she talked about falling in with this, just uh, for years this kind of uh, godless self-destructive kind of queer crust punk crew and like I did that as well like fell in with some really bad people and the only thing that really got me out of that was prayer um, and I've prayed consistently since then. And at base level, um, prayer just magically improves my life and, uh, having a a continuous conversation with God, uh, just seems to make everything go really well for me. Like <laughs> the, the sun shines brighter yeah. every day. Like I'm able to deal <laughs> with problems, but as far as like organized religion and, the rules of that and everything go, I, I um, have a lot of problems with that and, you know, have never really tried to fit in with that. So I'm kind of an unconventional Christian here. That's, um, I think, probably the, uh, a more common uh, take on faith nowadays than, than it is uncommon. I think it's, it's really uh, so many people out there are yearning for a, a spiritual fulfillment. Um, so many people out there are yearning for a hope, and prayer is like the most important thing that I do any any day at any time. It's like focusing the camera. You know, it's it is like the lights are the lights are uh, brighter and the colors are more vivid, and it's all because of this centering practice of uh, of you know communicating with God and. Um, yeah, that's that's great. I mean, it sounds like you and I have sort of um, wild divergence, sort of similar trajectories as far as um, how we came to be who we are today. Uh, and uh, you obviously, I think, um, having been a lifelong Christian, are going to have a different uh, perspective on certain things, and also going to be uh, in in many ways like more mature and more um, resolved in some of your beliefs. So I'm I'm really excited to to talk with you about this because this is. This is the big one. This is the the important uh, text, the right? Yes. Uh, yeah, the the, the <laughs> one. So I don't know if you um, 
if you have the book I in do. front of I you. Have, I have um, it open. Or... I have the ESV open. Okay. There. Awesome. And to reiterate to anybody who's trying to follow along, if anyone's going to be listening, uh, it's um, Matthew 5. In the ESV, it actually labels it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to stop there because that particular passage, the Beatitudes, um, is sort of uh, the Ten Commandments 2.0. It's... It is basically the functional how-to uh, to, to live as a Christian. And a lot of this, I feel like, gets lost on um, uh, Christians who are in the charismatic tradition or are evangelical. Um, the, the concept of being meek, of being uh, humble, <laughs> and being peacemakers is, is lost on a lot of people, and I find that really um, unfortunate. Uh, I'm not trying to pass judgment on anyone, and, and obviously I can't, but uh, I see a lot of uh, hatred and a lot of judgment being uh, sort of um, released onto the uh, onto society in the name of Jesus. And I, I think based on just this, this very first, the, the red text, the big block of red text, the only one we really get in the ESV is... Um, is obviously contradicting uh, any notion of, of someone holding hate in their heart for somebody for being who they are. Uh, I don't know if that's a little um, word saladish, but um, can you explain to me wh- what the what beatitudes means? It's one of those words that I have always seen, but I don't know specifically. It's it's just a word for the this passage. That is the name of the passage itself. Um, I think I'm going to have to actually. Uh, defer to um, to Google on this one for an actual official uh, meaning of it because it I've always just read it as this is the Beatitudes, <laughs> um, and it's it sounds like it would be like atti- attitude, but it doesn't actually. I don't think have anything to do with that word. <laughs> be attitude. Here's how you be. Um, the uh, it says supreme blessedness, uh, the expression of uh, beatitude the religious sometimes adopt. So this is basically uh, the how to be blessed, and um, blessed and blessed. Uh, while they are identical looking words, I feel like it used a little bit differently in the Bible. Um, in uh, in this. F- in this uh, reading I was doing, I was using the word blessed, but I've heard other people argue that it's not 
blessed, it's blessed, as in you are blessed, you've already received the blessing, um, as opposed to being blessed, which I think implies kind of, um, kind of a conditional uh, virtue, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, so I, I, I think that's an interesting distinction and, and one that, again, I'm, I'm far from... Uh, far from a preacher, far from a priest, I, I'm, I'm still a little bit um, green on some of this stuff, but I do find that to be an interesting distinction. And actually, if you go to the, the voice translation, um, they don't use the word uh, specifically uh, as often as they use the word beloved. Um, you beloved are the salt of the earth. Um, you, beloved, are the light of the world. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. They use that phrase, blessed are the spiritually poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek and gentle. But um, the word beloved keeps popping up more in this translation, which I think kind of implies um, it should be blessed and not blessed. Mm. The uh, number 11, that blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you i love this part because uh, it reminds me of my favorite bob dylan song um property of jesus from his christian period have you ever heard it oh, I, don't <laughs> think I have. it's all about that it's all about haters um calling you crazy for uh, the, the spreading the word of Christ. <laughs> it's, it's a great song. It's really, even if you are not a great Bob Dylan fan, um, I think everyone can get into the uh, the spirit of that song. But I'll admit the um, uh, Slow Train is really the only uh, Christian album of his that I've dug into a lot. I've been listening to Infidels mm-hmm. a lot lately, and that first song, Joker Man, which while this Infidels was the album where he supposedly was like kind of coming out of his born again Christian phase and, and entering like more secular music again, Jokerman has all kinds of biblical references in it. Um, but you know, it's incredible that that's a message that they're going to call you crazy. They're going to. This is why I think Christianity has always spoken to a certain sect of like outsiders and oddities and and uh, people who feel like they are. Uh, against the grain who are living um, in in a world that isn't necessarily always totally welcoming to them. And it's funny that you brought up that particular um, that particular verse because it's um, it's one that when the first time I read it, I didn't read it as uh, people are going to revile you and persecute you for being a Christian. I read it as people are going to revile you and persecute you in the name of Jesus. Mm for being who you are which um, obviously is wrong that's not the, that's not the <laughs> correct way to read it but it was one thing that I caught oh this Jesus guy gets mm-hmm. it you know I'm a fucking weirdo you know I'm I'm this person that is in the margins of society and here it is someone saying don't worry dude he's I got the property you. of Jesus resent uh, him to the bone <laughs> you got something better you got a heart of stone yeah a shot of love is oh, so love good it. <laughs> I, uh, he's been one of my favorite uh, artists throughout my life, Dylan, so I'm definitely going to have to dig into that. And maybe, I'm not sure how copyright works with these sorts of things, but we probably can't play a, a, a section of it at any point, or I could have somebody edit it in, but um, that's definitely something oh, I think that everybody should be checked uses, out. Everybody like, uses licensed music as their, 
<laughs> I think it only really becomes a problem if you get like um, so big that the New York Times is writing articles about you. But even then, it's like, you know, like Red Scare has always used <laughs> licensed music as their song and they're fine. I think everyone does it. I mean, we use a soap opera theme. We use the Knott's Landing theme for our show. That's, um, it's funny you bring that up. I, I always thought that Hellbat for Leather was like the best theme song. Oh. Speaking of girls chat, which we referred to earlier, was like the best theme song the, for any podcast. the quality ever. of it that they used on that, like I was, when I had Ashley on, I was gushing about that. Um, cause I think it's so, so brilliant, but yeah, this like really, um, <laughs> uh, low quality, several seconds Squished. of Hellbent for yeah. Leather where... You hear a little bit of it, and then you hear a, you know, three-hour-long conversation of circular insanity, and then you're rewarded with a <laughs> tiny little bit of hellbent for leather again. It's, it's just absolutely perfect. And, you know, at a certain point, when the show became made a, 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 an effort to become more holy, um, they changed it to Psychic TV's White Nights. Uh, which gives it more yeah. uh, uh, kind of uh, gloomy cult vibes, which is also great. But yeah, Hellbent for Leather for those uh, those early, really uh, mean, really crazy episodes is oh, just art, <laughs> art, art. Incredible. Um, all right, so then we'll move into Salt and Light. Um, salt and Light, these are um, metaphors that Jesus uses to describe his uh, followers and those who believe. Um, five uh, Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This, to me, feels, um, while it is metaphorical and, and very visual as a metaphor, is like uh, something that I feel the most direct um passage in saying be proud of your faith be uh be proud of who you are uh don't don't put a basket over your lamp um show people how to live in in the right path and with a with a right heart and um you will you will be an example you will be um you will kind of breathe this light into the world the saltiness metaphor is is one that i've I kind of uh, have difficulty with a little bit because... Yeah, I was puzzling over this part uh, because, you know, my instinctive association with, like, the Bible and salt is Sodom and Gomorrah, and this is, like, totally unrelated (laughs) to that, you know, turning into a pillar of salt, and, like, so it's good to be salt in this context. (laughs) (laughs) And just later, I mean, the next passage, really, he talks about how I'm not trying to rewrite the Old Testament. I'm not trying to relitigate the the law as you know, as it were, with with God. But um, he does use salt in a different context here, and I think the the notion of uh, being the salt of the earth. While I think of salt in the earth, I think of uh, 
uh, killing fields. You know, I think of like uh, raising uh, areas um, for uh, replanting and, and resoiling. Um, this is not what he's referring to here. He's referring to the flavor of food. And if uh, the salt is what gives food its flavor, and as a result, if the salt has its full saltiness, which, again, in, in modern context, too, saltiness feels negative because of the slang usage of it. Why are you so mm -hmm. salty? Um, but in this, he's saying that, um, you know, that Christians, that believers, bring flavor to food. Uh, what a bizarre okay, this metaphor. Seems like what a strange a really, thing like, to say. Um, queer part of the Bible? Because, uh, okay, first of all, there's the Sodom and Gomorrah Association, and then there's um, salt being good in this context, and then there's, like, the sort of uh, drag queen vernacular kind of saltiness, like, you know, kind mm -hmm. of, like, a throwing shade kind of use of that word. Um, so, yeah, this... And also there's the message of, like, um, be yourself and be salty, because you're... Uh, you're not good for anything if you dilute yourself, which is um, kind of like uh, pride. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so yeah, it is. It's pride. Yeah, is it the, is. I mean, pride that's... passage of the Bible. Salt and light. Be your salty yeah. self. You know, I'm snapping yeah. my fingers as I'm reading this. Yeah. <laughs> um, the 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 light of the world uh, a bit, a city on a hill is um, a little more, speaking of pride, a little more proud than I kind of expect as far as a message when the previous uh, verses were speaking specifically about being in mourning and being meek and being humble. Uh, and, and now he's saying, but you're a salty, you're, you're a salty mm -hmm. bitch and you are, the, you are the light of the world. Um, I have a little trouble, I guess, reconciling with that, um, especially in later passages, which I don't I hope we get to, but I'm not sure if we will, um, where he talks about prayer and when you are praying um, to be alone and to be in a closed room and to, to humble yourself, to bring yourself down to your knees. Um, and, and that, again, kind of reiterates the first portion of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, rather than this notion of uh, being the light of the world. I would say Jesus is probably the, the light of the mm -hmm. world, right? The city on the hill is Jesus. But here he's saying, no, it's not me, it's So you. throughout this, you have to constantly juggle these um, sort of opposing or like leveling out uh, ideas. Like, you know, this is, this is telling you to be salty and let your light shine. But then uh, later it uh, admonishes you that... Um, Prayer is something private, and like uh, public, uh, public declarations of virtue are worthless. Um, so yeah. I, I like the kind of uh, the interesting contradiction isn't the word, but uh, there's sort of an interesting little. Uh, you have to juggle all of these ideas simultaneously uh, to maintain balance. Absolutely, um, in the. In the, and I'm going to keep jumping back and forth between um, translations here. I hope it's not mm. too disorienting, but I really find it interesting. And this is where uh, larger conversations about 
uh, the infallibility of the of the Bible could come into play, and I'm not going to address that. I don't really want to to dig into that. And again, I'm not really smart enough to to tackle that sort of thing. But um, in the different translations of the Bible that you get, the the way that this message is conveyed is is very different. I feel like this is in ESV is still very metaphorical and um, very um, uh, a little not not cryptic necessarily, but uh, maybe not as um, specific in what this message is saying, but in the voice it says, um, uh, "You are uh, and you, beloved, are the light of the world. A city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden. Similarly, it would be silly to light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. When someone lights a lamp, she puts it on a table or a desk or a chair, and the light illuminates the entire house. You are like that illuminating light. Let your light shine everywhere you go, that you may illuminate." Uh, Illuminate creation, illumine creation. Uh, so men and women everywhere may see your good actions, may see creation at its fullest, may see your devotion to me, and may turn and praise your Father in heaven because of it. So that's very. Wait, which specific. which version is that? One what? more time. This is this is the okay. voice. Nice. Uh, that's it's a harder um, translation to find. It's not on the U version app. Uh, which I guess I shouldn't probably be plugging <laughs> anybody that's not sponsoring the app, but I use the Uversion uh, Bible app constantly. I use it every day. Um, and it's got a ton of different translations in it, but um, the voice is not in there. I think this one is probably a little more mm. obscure, but no less accurate. I find that it, it really gets the message across at certain points. See, I don't know anything about uh, different translations. I went from, like, the Bible I had as a kid was this, like, purple, like, new youth bible with like little illustrations and like factoids that was like <laughs> in biblical times people dyed their clothes with the purple snail shells that were crushed and like that kind of stuff all through and then um i didn't have a bible until i bought like just the penguin one because i like the idea of just the <laughs> penguin classics edition of the bible um and it's kind of nice because it's um it, like uh, more readable because it's uh, just formatted like a book. It's not in like the columns, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's written more it like prose style instead of like the way that most Bibles are written out. It's almost it looks like a really long yeah. It's column. it's the King James version, but yeah, I like it for uh, reading. It makes it feel like an epic novel, which it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, King James is obviously the one that I think most people are f familiar with because of its uh, prevalence uh, for so long and, and because it's like in every hotel room that anyone <laughs> ever stays in. Um, thanks to, I believe, the Seventh-day Adventists. Are they the ones that started to do that? Were is, they, it, is it still? Uh, I mean, I love I love the idea, but I, I feel like it hasn't been in the last few hotel rooms I've stayed in as a sign of the, oh, that's the interesting. godlessness of the cursed 2010s. Um, we are so we are fallen because so I, lo I love the idea of just <laughs> you know so being terrible. like a, a tormented like um, film noir hero that's like staying in a shitty motel or something, and then you just your only <laughs> solace is in that that Bible that's in the drawer. It does have like that very like traveling salesman. <laughs> I need to bring myself closer to yeah, Jesus. That's kind your of last resort. Uh, <laughs> it's like a bottle of <laughs> a bottle of rock gut liquor, and yeah. You know. <laughs> Oh wow, um, yeah, and I, given that I I came back to faith with such uh, fervor, I, I think I've been really hungry to to read different um, 
different translations and um, trying to reconcile certain passages that maybe I didn't understand or I felt like I couldn't agree with, which I know is sacrilege and, and people will want to want to cast me out for that. But um, there are certain passages where I just I, I can't I can't I can't. Have you read it, the whole you know? Bible and, and start to finish? I haven't. I'm I'm doing I'm doing more piece by piece, and I'm I'm doing these prayer plans and devotionals that kind of pick apart different um, different pieces. Uh, I've done the majority of the New Testament um, end to end, but the Old Testament obviously uh, I I have a little more trouble with, and and it's so. Oh, dense it's so dense. No, I've been trying. So like two years ago, there's this app. I forgot what it's called, but it divides, like, you can read the whole Bible in a year, and it divides it for you into, you know, neat little chunks that you can check off each day. And I successfully did it when I wasn't that busy, and I hadn't started a podcast and everything for about, like, four or five months. So I got through most of the Old Testament, and, you know, I wasn't on any kind of study plan. I was just, like, uh, running my eyes over the pages. But I still really enjoyed it, especially because there's so much about um, scent and perfume and incense and sacrifices and stuff in the Old (laughs) Testament. So there are these, you know, just elaborate recipes for spike nard and frankincense and all this stuff that you like put on the goat that you're sacrificing and everything. And yeah, I didn't retain all that much except the general impression of like crazy family trees and um, recipes for sacrifices and stuff um but i I really want to get through the whole thing so that i can say that i have read the entire bible start to finish (laughs) the kind of the kind of obsession with genealogy is something that even carries into the new testament and i don't know if you've had a chance to read any of the the um like gnostic gospels or any of the um the books that were cut when they decided to assemble like the canonical christian bible Mm -hmm. But there is a book of Mary, and it um, goes into great detail, just like the beginning of Matthew does, about genealogy and who who Mary was related to in the history of the Bible, because all of these people are somehow mm-hmm. related. Um, and whether or not I think, again, whether or not we we take that as a literal uh, relation, or we take this as sort of um, we carried through this faith. We um, we have been part of the same faith family for this uh, for this long of a, a period of time, or not. But it is it's and it's the the Old Testament in particular is very uh, it's very complicated. My, like and it's even more. Meta- uh, oh, uh, I was just gonna say uh, this is kind of a tangent, but my view of like the Old Testament for the longest time was shot through by this. A book by Madeline Langle, you know, the author of A Wrinkle in Time and all of those books. Oh, yeah. Okay, there's one in that series that's my favorite called Many Waters um, that is talked about a lot less than the others. It's from the late 80s, but it's about the, the like hot twins, Sandy and Denny, that go back. They get shot back in time to like um, Old Testament times and everyone is like a midget a kind of like horny midget and then there are giant beautiful angels like the seraphim and the nephilim and this is like a young adult book um and it's like 
kind of strange and like sexy and like just weird but like <laughs> just my my vision of the old <laughs> testament is always like madeline langle many waters um and she had this uh uh, kind of a uh, unique anachronistic Christianity that ran through everything she did. And I wrote her a letter as a kid and co- got like a response before she died. But I don't know. Everybody should read many waters. Cool. It's great. <laughs> it definitely takes the, the like um, the 10 commandments movie version of, of uh, Moses, like in a different perspective, if you think of him as a horny midget <laughs> yeah. instead. Yeah, they're, they're all like incestuously involved horny midgets with like beautiful kind of gay angels roaming around that are like 10 feet tall. <laughs> and the, the cover of the book is just this 80s Fantasia. Oh, it's, it's good stuff. I have to check that out. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, gosh. All right. Well, um, I, at the risk of, of being uh, too brief with each of these passages, I think it's probably wise that we move on to uh, Christ came to fulfill mm-hmm. the law. This starts at verse 17. Uh, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, this is a phrase that Jesus uses a lot. Truly, I say to you. Like, I'm not bullshitting you here. This is real. Uh, Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is um, this is kind of brutal. This is uh, Jesus saying, "No, all the no, it's all it's all right, it's all true, and if you don't follow it, he's not quite banishing people to hell yet, right? He's just saying." If you don't fall, you'll be least in heaven. You'll be washing the toilets in heaven or whatever you, you know, whatever you think of as being the least in the order of, of the, uh, the holy realm. Um, but it does reiterate, I think, that he's, um, he's here to continue the work of the Old Testament, not to rewrite it. That last part, before I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of like like bitchy, right? Am I reading that correctly? That's like you <laughs> Well, there's a lot of talk of Pharisees and you know that's... in the in the New Testament, they don't seem to think great uh things. <laughs> but but that seems like um like saying it, that it shouldn't be that difficult to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. I there's some kind of like sassy sassy tone with that that I enjoy even though I'm not sure exactly what it's saying <laughs> it's like if you can't even mm-hmm. do that then you're you don't stand a chance honey <laughs> mm. I think um, I think that uh, this is one of the more plain spoken uh, parts here there's not really to, to me a lot to to pick apart because he's saying what he's saying um, he's saying that I'm not here I'm not even though Jesus is a punk rocker in, in the eyes of many, uh, in the eyes of many people, I think he's really kind of explicitly saying, "I'm not here to upend the uh, entire order of things. I'm not here to rewrite 
your interpretation of, of faith, and I'm not here to um, teach you about a different God than the one that you already know. I'm here to fulfill those things. And obviously, um, with his death and resurrection, they think, you know, his, his, uh, his, when he's saying he's here to fulfill them, he's here to enforce the law. Uh, it's when he says it is finished at the end of his life, he is saying, I did, I did it. Mm -hmm. I did good. Um, the next passage, uh, anger. I love, I love, I love, I love because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm naturally kind of a, a, a peaceful person, but I have this, I, I do have anger kind of bottle up sometimes. And You seem like a very uh, peaceful have person. It. <laughs> I, I seem like a much more angry person than you. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny because you get to know people through their associations on the internet, which I think is like the worst place to really try to get a sense mm -hmm. of somebody. Um, you, you have to talk with them to really get to know them, but I can see why a lot of people who look at the Trans Regret Snoopy account are thinking that, like, I, I'm just a deplorable person. <laughs> oh, uh, I love it immediately. It's... <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just good at posting. I mean, um, that, I think a person <laughs> would have to be, be really humorless and not understand the art of posting to not... Uh, realize that there's something there uh, like I was I was going through all your old memes from like you know like 2016 I was like how does this great masterpiece only have like five likes on it <laughs> it's like <re> <laughs> tweeting. but yeah believe me I know um, there's so many uh, different kind of like complications and trolls and uh, stuff and involved in what I do that um, a lot of assumptions are made about me <laughs> as well. But most people, when they yeah, talk to me, find that I'm, I'm fairly nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Based on our experience thus far, mm. I would agree with them. Um, so uh, 521, Matthew 521, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or brothers and sisters, depending on uh, what translation you're reading and, and how sexist they were when they translated it, uh, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remembering that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so not only is anger and hatred sinful it's equivalent to murder mm, yes this the, these parts about like uh loving your haters and and uh reconciling yourself to your haters and accusers and everything i feel like um these were really calling me out because that's something i definitely <laughs> um struggle with is having uh, positive feelings about people that uh i feel have wronged me 
and kind of <laughs> kind of being at peace, especially <laughs> in the current um, extremely hostile political and cultural environment. Um, this is a valuable perspective and a valuable reminder to have um, because, yeah, there there is no point in um, seething with hatred over things that you can't control and people you can't control. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you kind of brought up the political climate of things because as of late, it really feels like everyone is at each other's throats. And cancel culture is not new. You know, it's, it's really, we're years in now to this uh, society that uh, litigates misunderstandings and, and disagreements and slips of the tongue using online cancellation and it's posts. extremely dehumanizing but like the online life evil. the net effect of it like there are so many good things um and so many benefits like meeting people who really get you who get your art get what you're doing uh, who have common interests which is almost impossible if you're just left with you know your co-workers and irls um, but then there's also uh, just this um, constantly building effect of dehumanization where you only view people for their posts and the aspect of them that's depicted online. And your interactions with people in real life that you disagree with and even don't necessarily like are so different. Like, like people want to see the best in each other and kind of want to understand in real life only recently Absolutely. has yeah. the toxic hostility of um cancel culture and the this general moment like kind of bled over into real life and i think it was kind of spurred on by um covid and the the insanity of the lockdowns and everything um where people are actually just like attacking each other in real life but um when you a lot of people are totally fine and totally likable um when you view when you go past their uh, web presence because that's so reductive but now it's like all we see <laughs> you know yeah it is really prevalent now I, I work in, in a retail setting and the degree to which hostility has increased just in person to person disagreements and, and uh, misinterpretations and misunderstandings it's, it's just awful you know, I feel like um, when you start to see that sort of thing bubble up, my first inclination, obviously, is just step back, right? I'm, I'm not a part of this. This is, you know, this is your trip, man. Like, you're, you're having a bad time, and, and you're taking it out on other people. But it has become so widespread, this, this real, tangible hostility between people, and it's, it's ugly. I mean, I can't think of... Uh, a, a worse uh, situation to be in than the one that we're in now with regards to having to be locked down and not being able to carry on with our old habits or our old hobbies to be um, to, to be basically shut in but then a good number of us still have to work still have to 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 be out there in the world to to live and boy does it ever breed just terrible yeah we have to go out into this ghost world that's like just feels like this fake charade tedious video game version of what once was and um i 
I don't know if you have had to work the entire time, but I didn't get any time off for this pandemic. I've, no, I work in either. hospitality, yeah. so I have been out in public the entire time. And, um, Isn't it great no, to be essential? Just, don't you I feel so essential? appreciated because every <laughs> single, uh, all the like wealthy people who can um, quarantine themselves and indulge in little fantasies of uh, do, doing the right thing and only come out for their expensive pad thai food and um like <laughs> they have a very different perspective and like uh people people like us um are far more exhausted with this <laughs> and but the 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 at the root of it is this stigmatization of like human warmth and interaction and like i was already a fairly isolated um person i'm not i haven't been terribly social the last like five years um, but this, where it's just these new rules of literally not touching or, you know, being too emotional or it, it's all, it all combined. And then, you know, getting everything from the internet as well, it all combines to um, make you an extremely angry person who only sees the worst in people. Absolutely. Yeah, it's... Uh... The, the the whole banging on pots and pans thing every night just really didn't didn't make the <laughs> the risk that we were taking feel like it was worthwhile. Uh, really uh, strange, and and it does. It feels like a bizarro world, and and oh gosh, it's hard not to be yeah. angry. But ever, everyone's just we persevere. Throats. I think the only thing that has really helped me is to. Um, have a project to an artistic project to channel my anger into um, which really makes me uh, because I'm allowed to be free um, on my podcast and uh, say say whatever I want to a degree um, like my kind of internet based hostility comes out there in this sort of performance and I try to um be a more like understanding and normal person in my day-to-day -day life um but i think people who don't do that and it's just this constant process of repression <laughs> that's where that real like <laughs> you know just constantly on the lookout for people uh not wearing masks and stuff just stomping around um looking for these inf COVID infractions um, I think when people don't allow themselves freedom in some area of their life, that's kind of how you end up there. But it's helped me. You need, yeah, you need mm -hmm. that outlet. It's so important. And I, I don't think I would have come to uh, come to Jesus as, as voraciously as I have with regards to, like, reading materials and stuff like that had this all not have happened. I, I don't create as much art as I used to, and I don't uh, do as much creative work as I used to. But I... I read a lot more now mm -hmm. and <laughs> I listen to a lot of sermons and I, um, I've actually been, and, and I, I kind of want to take this on on another episode, but if, if anyone ever, uh, has fascination with televangelists, mm. uh, there is a, uh, a, an old sermon, I believe it's from the early seventies or late sixties from Billy Graham and they label it on YouTube. It's like Billy Graham's greatest sermon or something. It is 60 minutes start to finish of just electrifying energy and and the guy is not look 
not my not my type of person in general. Um, televangelism, whether your take on it is negative or positive, is probably most for most people it's it's negative. But you see this energy breathe through him that is just it's incredible. Um, I'll probably play a clip of that on a later mm. episode, but. Um, it's uh, it's really important and 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 seeing how faith can um, breathe through you in different ways, uh, and and using that as a tool to help you manage your anger, your wrath. Um, we haven't even talked about the seven deadly sins yet, and we're fifty two minutes um, in. <laughs> but we are going to yeah, go to I'm lust. Just staring next. at the word lust right now. And I'm thinking about it because, um, the, speaking of televangelists, okay, Knott's Landing, the 80s soap, is like my foremost influence. Um, and uh, the Alec Baldwin plays a crazed televangelist on it, and he makes his <laughs> wife at one point sing um, Amy Grant's Jehovah on his show. And it's, it's, like, it's like the greatest moment in television history to me. It's really surreal because I'm a huge Amy Grant fan, lifelong. Um, but uh, yeah, she sings this beautiful rendition of Jehovah, and like all the lyrics of that are from this, like that. Consider the lilies of the field. Um, a lot of the lyrics are from the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and um, but I also am conflicted because Alec Baldwin had like the most massive ass ever. Uh, it just <laughs> huge, like the biggest ass ever in television, and so I'm just filled with lust as I watch him. But yeah, what? What do we uh, have to say here about lust? Speaking yeah. of lust. <laughs> I shouldn't think about it, but it's so big. Mm. <laughs> I have to check yeah. that out. Uh, you, have heard, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm safe. If your right eye... <laughs> right? I've done so nothing So this is wrong. where the gender... <laughs> <laughs> this is where the gendered language of the Bible gets confusing, because it will be important to point out uh, there is discussion of homosexuality in the New Testament, but it doesn't come from Jesus. It comes from Paul and um, his protege. So there's there's a discussion to be had there about what um, why it is that they say everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Every one is a gender-neutral term, but the assumption there is the only people that are going to be reading this are men, mm. right? Um, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. What an image. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Now there's a trans, uh, a bit of a trans passage there, <laughs> and if your if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And here's, um, this is where it's clear that um, lasciviousness, uh, that uh, lust, that impure thoughts. The, the mere thought of something can send you to hell. Mm. I I struggle with this a little bit. I struggle with it too. Is a naturally very um, uh, flirtatious and uh, lustful person when it comes to my dealings with men, especially uh, straight men. I mean, it's just a kind of like a familial, fraternal flirtation that used to be common in male male friendships and everything, but. 
Um, I, I do kind of think I can sense the difference in destructive lust, which is something that so many homosexuals fall prey to, um, and the kind of innocent, fraternal, uh, positive interactions with people. Um, yeah, this is this is a tough one because what what uh, what do I cut off? Um, this is a this is rich yeah. with this whole passage <laughs> is rich with uh, trans regret stuff because the you know not only the gendered <laughs> language but all the very gory imagery about cutting stuff off. Yeah, the uh, the voice translation says, "If your right eye leads you into sin, gouge it out and throw it in the garbage." Uh, which I feel like I've tweeted once before, like I'm cutting my dick off and I'm throwing it in the trash mm-hmm. or something like something along those lines before. So it's funny that I mean that actually was not religiously motivated at all, but that language is is so powerful. Uh, if even if you want to look at a nice looking lady, tear your fucking eye out of your head and throw it away. <laughs> That's incredible. This may be a passage that. I have more problems with than stuff in the Bible that is directly uh, condemning of homosexuality. You know, <laughs> you know, we all have our like issues with stuff in the Bible, um, because like in this whole online scene that I entered, uh, I feel like no, the peak nofap has happened, and it's kind of like, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so. it, you know. But a, a couple of years ago, the nofap craze was absolutely relentless and you know everybody online was like there was basically this cause and effect thing like if you have any problems with uh consensus liberalism and feel like a sort of outsider or anything you immediately end up funneled into this like nofap cult and uh (laughs) you know i i think um the excesses of pornography and masturbation are bad, obviously, but I've never um, been a person that thinks that like total uh, abstinence and total restriction usually has the intended effect. But <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, yeah, sacrilegious. No. I mean, you know, but uh, you know, most people can't commit to total abs- monk-like abstinence of stuff. You know, absolutely not, and. And this is where, like, uh, there's a lot of doctrine that is written by folks other than Jesus in in the Bible that expects perfection. And most of the time, when Jesus speaks, he's saying, uh, I know you're not perfect. We're sinners. Not we, we, but we, the sort of like everyone we. Jesus wasn't a sinner. He didn't commit a sin. But um, people sin and and you know i'm here to to forgive that and to help you get on the righteous path but this is a very absolute passage it it doesn't leave any room for uh for real uh wiggle i mean there's no interpretation here he's saying it is what it is you're going to hell if you if you're lustful and that's that's really challenging because human beings are sexual i think that all of us are to varying degrees attracted to people even if it's people that we shouldn't in the eyes of of jesus be attracted to so um this is this is a really um difficult thing to grasp 
and it's a difficult thing to to wrestle with and and to still feel like you're a believer to still feel like you're following jesus's word even though you know, you see somebody on the street every once in a while and you just go oh, yeah the thing the, the take things i would do and but you know on the <laughs> on the plus side i think that my the strengthening of my faith over the last half decade since I you know kind of exited this world of uh, godless homosexual libertines living in filth um, is that I do see others more as people as souls as human beings I don't look at everyone um, just as a sexual opportunity <laughs> like I'm not like in the in yeah. the like, cruisy gay app world anymore which is you know the way that straight people really hate pornography online like i feel that way about grinder and scruff and everything because which has now you know uh, of course become the dominant way that like straight people interact too on these apps like zoomers and uh, on tinder and everything and it's really sad yeah um but that sort of uh viewing everyone as just a disposable sexual opportunity um, in the most, like, desensitizing way. I think when you're gay, you have an idea from literature and movies and propaganda and stuff that if you give in to all of those urges, you'll be this very free person that's rewarded. Um, and, you know, kind of rewarded with this freedom that you didn't have in the um stricter confines of the straight world but once you actually do it you find that it's totally not rewarding and i think that um the uh, more productive relationships that you have with men if you're gay tend to take on a more fraternal and familial and loving tone than a sexual one um, but and maybe that's oh, okay. but I was just saying like that's there's there's not such a like guidebook um, for gay people of like <laughs> what you're supposed to do. There's this just kind of like no. comedic, ludicrous 2010s politically correct image of like Pete Buttigieg and like just these kind of little Ken dolls pretending to be straight people, yeah. and like that doesn't work. Like relationships between long term no. relationships between men don't work that way. <laughs> It doesn't, and, and I think maybe this, you might have gotten to the heart of what, what Jesus is really referring to here is not sexual feelings of all kinds, or even a sexual attraction outside of, you know, the, the scope of marriage, but this uh, intent in your heart, this feeling in your heart that specifically sexualizes everyone. Uh, or those that are sexualized are nothing but that sexual urge. And um, that, to me, feels like the real sin, not necessarily just being attracted yeah. to somebody, but to to reduce them to that and only that. Um, it's sad. The Tinder is the most depressing thing in, in <laughs> seeing the like, world. It's, you know, I'm, I'm 33, and uh, seeing, like, 22-year-old girls that I work with using that is the most dispiriting thing. You know, that they'll have Tinder <sighs> open... Uh, with their ruthlessly high standards and then they'll have like the, the sugar daddy thing that they're doing on the side and it's all just very like uh, casual and 
pretty depressing, but... Um. <laughs> yeah, say what you will about Gen Z. Think what you will about Gen Z, but they, they deserve <laughs> they better <do>. than this. <laughs> they, they didn't ask to be born into this time. They didn't ask to be, you know, to, to be, uh, you know, coming of age, to become an adult in a society that, I mean, I can't think of a more meaningless time to be an adult. Um, what motivation do they have to grow up and, and, and grow fulfilling relationships and, and what society is falling apart we don't have communities anymore uh, you no. know you can barely have a, a dinner party because of, of a pandemic that started a year yep. ago now so <laughs> you, uh, you can't have friends and you terrible. can't get, get close to people or you know go around without a piece of fabric on your face but you I can have a totally rewarding <laughs> um, online sex work career, according to the New York Times. Yeah. So, yeah. That reminds me of um, that uh, uh, Department of Health thing that uh, I think it was that I think it was in New York that they sent out that was like, if you're going to have sex, don't kiss. Oh, oh, it's so on the nose. <laughs> oh like, I just God. wish like the, That's I just wish the enemies would like try harder than like, well, actually, everything's OK, except for kissing and like liking the person, because that also spreads. COVID. <laughs> don't, um, don't finding out their name spreads. COVID. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, well, we just passed an hour. So I think I would like to skip ahead to retaliation. Um, not that I don't think the passage about divorce is important, but maybe not yeah. the most relevant uh, to to the, the conversation that we've been mm -hmm. having today. Um, oaths, the bit about oaths, obviously, um, is uh, tell the truth, which uh, ultimate that's at the heart of it, and that what a great um, what a great message. I mean, there's no real disagreeing with that. Don't lie to people. If you if you swear something, swear it, you know, only uh, if you mean it. And that's obviously really important, too. But this retaliation bit, circling back to the, the cancel culture world and, and the anger and the, the wrath bit that we were talking about earlier, uh, this retaliation bit seems very uh, pertinent, very important right now. Um, this is verse 38. Uh, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also, uh, or turn to the other cheek, which is, I think, the way that people kind of say it now. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So if he wants your shirt, give him your jacket too. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, that bit is odd to me because who's forcing you to walk a mile with them? Yeah, that, um, that's hard to translate for me as well because it just seems like um, almost sarcastic. <laughs> so if, it, it does. It, so if he says uh, one mile, I'll yeah, go two well, miles. I'll go two miles. Hmm, how about that? <laughs> uh, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So be generous. Um, be giving but not only that uh, give of yourself to people that want to hurt you which um, now being in the position that I'm in being a trans person and being on the margins of society we get a good deal of um, we get a good deal of ire from, from different people in different places and whether or not that's sinful on their part is, is between them and, and God but 
my reaction to it has to be in line with what I believe, right? So this particular passage, I think, is so instructive for, for uh, queer people, for gay people, for anyone on that sort of, I hate the acronym LGBTQ, I really hate it, but it's useful in saying those people in sexual minority groups or people in uh, gender minority groups and uh, folks that fall into that sort of area that gets persecuted listen to what is being said here if someone wants to hurt you turn your face you know and and give them another spot to hurt you if they hit you give them the other side of your face to hit you this is exactly the kind of mercy and exactly the kind of um exactly the kind of compassion that jesus displays throughout his whole life he has he knows he's going to be killed he knows that he's going to die and at one point he does ask god to to take this cup you know if you can stop this from happening but i know this is going to happen and i will allow it to happen because of the sacrifice that he's making for us and i'm not saying that uh, gay people are jesus that's not what i'm saying at all although it might be construed that way what I'm saying is, in living how Jesus lived and in and trusting the way that he, you know, uh, that he spread his message, we can be, uh, we can live truer and fuller lives. This passage in particular really resonates with me. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of queer people develop, especially when they're young and like coming out, this sort of isolationist resentment of everyone straight and more traditional in their lives and think that there's nothing that uh, they can learn from the straight world and you know as someone who uh, came out long ago when it was far less socially acceptable and you know so encouraged by to cringe inducing levels by the uh, mainstream media and everything um I have learned through my many years as an openly gay man that um, it's very beneficial to not isolate yourself in uh, gay circles and to listen to straight people, listen to family, just like gay men in isolation, their instincts are often very poor and very destructive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, even though... <clears throat> you can experience a lot of uh, have a lot of resentment for straight people you feel don't understand you or something but I think by and large they have a positive tempering effect on the more insidious aspects of your <laughs> nature I don't know what I'm trying to say here but um, yeah don't uh, don't view the whole rest of the world as you know kind of not good enough for you because of some of feeling jilted or feeling criticized or something you, you sometimes your your haters do have something valuable to say <laughs> absolutely and and it's not even if they are in the wrong and even if they are uh, you know bringing suffering to you um it's not your place to say uh, who is and who isn't 
the the evil one ultimately i think it's 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 god's place to to draw that determination and to draw that judgment so what you do is you take up your cross you walk in as gracious and as righteous of a way as you possibly can which is very difficult um and and you accept that there will be suffering in your life and you pray you pray about it you pray with it you pray in it and um you know, it, it will help you grasp it. It will help you deal with it. But sometimes the suffering doesn't end. Sometimes you live a life of suffering. And that's that's really bleak, I know. <laughs> it's like really hard to, um, I'm getting kind of emotional. Um, it's getting, it, it's really hard to live a life where it feels like you're just constantly getting mm-hmm. shit on. But um, you have to, you have to persevere and you have to be gracious in and that. you know something that gets me through the day is i feel like uh you know speaking of telling the truth um we wouldn't be in this situation culturally or societally if more people simply told the truth um especially unpopular truths um yeah. and i just have a general feeling that whenever I'm telling the truth or what I I honestly believe to be the truth, I'll be vindicated in the end. And it has always worked out for me. It's made things difficult, um, certainly, but I think you should generally let that be your guiding light that um, if you tell the truth, um, you will be vindicated in the end. And, you know, if you try to be good to people, um, it will come back to you. Absolutely. God is good, and and God will look out for you. <laughs> and it's not always going to turn out the way that you want it to turn out. And and things are not always going to go the way that you want them to go. But um, you're not alone at all. You know, we're mm-hmm. never alone. Which is another daunting fact that we <laughs> will save for another mm-hmm. time. <laughs> um. Uh, back to the retaliation bit. This is uh, this is continuing. I think the same. It really should be in the in the same section. I think, um, starting at verse forty three. You have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? They really hate tax collectors. (laughs) And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a lot to bear. What isn't does it? that last part mean? You, you, this is one of those like kind of shady feeling um, passages. What you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is that actually saying you must be perfect, or is that like the implication you cannot be perfect? And I don't know. I think that the the use of perfect here is odd to me because it's perfect in what? Perfect in the forgiveness. 
perfect in the, the love of your enemies or just perfect in general? And what is perfection? They don't really say what perfection is. So how is one to be perfect? Um, obviously, the notion here is that God is perfect and you want to be God-like, you want to be Christ-like, but the, there isn't really enough here for me to say, who, well, how, how do I be perfect then? I guess I follow the Beatitudes, right? I, I follow the Beatitudes and I, 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 I follow all the instructions in the sermon. Um, but how else? Yeah, this is, this is one of the parts uh, that I found, uh, just that second part, a little confusing. But yeah, generally, I just get the idea um, and that you should strive to... Uh, love your enemies and not be excessively bitter and uh, caught up in hatred and bitterness. But yeah, there's that, that the shade towards the tax collectors. I like that uh, to give this passage a little <laughs> good comedic life. Uh, <laughs> um, You're no better than the tax yeah, collectors. Libert- and the, the Gentiles bit. Um, so much of Judaism gets scrubbed from... Um, modern Christianity and and it's so bizarre to me because while yes Christ did create a new ministry Christ created a new um, sort of a new belief system or or a continuation in a different path but he was deeply Jewish I mean he was extremely Jewish and and that that gets lost I think mm-hmm. on some people they don't really think of him that way which is unfortunate because Obviously, all of the Old Testament is is Judaism. This is the the, the core of that faith, and because now uh, Christians see it, you know the Christ uh, God embodied as the Messiah and the the, the, the likeness that they're going to follow, um, they lose that sense of old faith. Um, so in, in, every once in a while, you will see Jesus refer to Gentiles in sort of a a condescending way, which I kind of like. It's it's nice. It, it lends a humanity and I and and I think a historical context to to him. As yeah, well. I like that too. It, I like the little um, salty humorous bits here. <laughs> I um I think we should um, close on this section on okay. the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't I don't think we dug too far. In and I, I, I wish we had a lot more time because we could. I, first of all, you're <laughs> awesome. This was so much fun. I loved this. This was Thank a great you. conversation, and I would love to have oh, you back yeah. on at some point. If yeah, please come to. on my show too. I'd love to do something, you know, especially something like <laughs> right. Bible themed, like Cecil B. DeMille, like, you know, the, the Ten Commandments <laughs> or something. That would be great. Yeah. That would be awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, you know, we could go on about this. And, and given that this is such a foundational text, it's going to be difficult to, to really wrap this up in under 90 minutes. Um, probably impossible. We could talk about this for days. But um, it's uh, in Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, that they have received their reward. For when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think, obviously, the Lord's Prayer is um, the big one. Um, and this translation, I think, leaves something to be desired. I, I don't love the use of debts. Mm -hmm. um, I always learned it growing up as trespasses. They use trespasses as, as they, they do in the next verse in, in place of debts. Um, because I feel like a financial transactional quality to sin cheapens it a little bit. But what, what's your take on Did you learn trespasses um, growing up? Sins, I knew trespasses, and I like trespasses more. Yeah, reading this, I was also struck by that, um, the difference in that translation. Um, but, you know, I was, I realized we're re recording a Christian podcast here, but there is uh, <laughs> a certain, with the kind of vogue for online Catholicism, I do see a lot of kind of uh, gross, like showy displays um, from the recent converts who, you know, it's it's good that everyone's finding their way to Christ, but there does develop this kind of snobby, cliquish quality <laughs> online. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think this is a valuable advice to some of those people um, that uh, the the private prayer is uh, what's really important. Yeah, that um, prayer on the street corners, uh, they have, uh, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The reward to those who are making a show of their religion is not salvation. It's not eternal life. It's not a communion with God. It is the recognition by peers that they are faithful people. And there's their reward. And mm -hmm. they got it. So they got what they were trying to accomplish, but that's not how you talk to God. And and does that ever resonate with, you know, we were talking about televangelists earlier. Um, creating a career out of your faith is something that I think few have the ability or the stick-to-itiveness to, to do um, and do well. Uh, but those who create not a career or um, a lifestyle, but um, an empire out of faith are obviously going uh, counter to what is happening here. What's being said here is, uh, is not to, to make a mega church. Yeah, and making faith it's into uh, just one more countercultural identity, and especially when you see the, the sorts of people that... <laughs> You know, they went from like uh, Ron Paul libertarianism in the late 2000s to, uh, you know, maybe the right wing stuff. And then they end up you know, with this kind of uh, electronic 
Catholicism that seems all about like scolding people online. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just healthy to um, keep this all in perspective. And, you know, as someone whose faith has always been private, like I, I haven't, as I said, I haven't gone to church since I was a early teenager. Um, I kind of like it that way i like uh, making it clear that i'm a christian and that i'm a believer and like letting that uh sort of shine through in what i do because i think that that's important for others to know that it's out there that there are others like them um but to a degree i'm i'm glad that there's not such a byzantine organizational structure around my personal faith because <laughs> I, I feel like it would create more yeah. kind of like clout chasing Absolutely. And, and that urge, while intensely human and very normal, is not the way. You know, it's not how you um, come closer to God. Uh, I mean, look, the, and, and we, didn't, we didn't even get to this part, but seven, uh, Matthew 7, verse 12, the golden rule, which is now, I mean, not even a religious understand. I mean, the golden rule is something that everyone is taught, even though it is, you know, foundational in this particular text in the New Testament. Um, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Um, if you are out there constantly proselytizing and constantly telling people that they are wrong and they are, um, that's not again it's not following this rule would you prefer someone follow you around and point out every flaw that you have and every mistake that you make and every sin that you commit it, it, it's mm. ugly mm. i mean it really is oh wow <laughs> i i feel like um I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Well, that's the fun but, of having a podcast I, is there's always you more that you want to talk about especially when it's you know i like i like that you really have a, a concept here of study um, rather than just making a podcast it's just about chatting as like 95% of people do everybody's just like I want to be the next come town but like I couldn't do that I'm not a, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a compelling enough uh, speaker or comedian to just uh, have no uh, sort of framework so mine my show is all about you know examining different art and movies and stuff so i really i really like your concept here and um thank you so much for having thank me you. on i'll come thank back you. anytime i love absolutely where where can they find your podcast I, are you on the are you on soundcloud i am Apple? on How do you, patreon do you um perfume nationalist uh i think it's patreon.com slash perfume nationalist and there's also a free feed on Apple Podcasts of many, many episodes. We paywall alternate episodes, but you can hear a lot of them for free. And um, if you liked this, you'd probably be interested in an episode that we recently did with my friend John Dios about uh, the Passion of the Christ and Pasolini's uh, The Gospel According to St. Matthew, two really great Jesus movies. Um, and that one's free for everyone to hear. Um, I definitely need to check out that movie, that clip you sent. Oh, it's great. Awesome. <laughs> and and Pasolini's a very, uh, you know, being a uh, an unconventional uh, gay Marxist artist, uh, a crazy person who did a lot, who made famously transgressive movies. This this movie is very different from what people expect of him, and there have only been like positive responses to it from people that um, 
have watched me and watched it and told me about it. Um, so I would encourage everyone to watch it. Very cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna close this here on um, a poem that I was kind of flipping through different things and something about today hit me in this poem and so uh, we'll end with this. This is the poem Withdrawal by Mary Shebist. Even pebbles want to break. See them kneel, see them bend without necks. Their round scalps to the sun. Hear them beg, light, send lightning. The fish know in their heavy water they swallow hooks. It is the itch to scratch myself rawer than meat the shaking after sedation, the itch that transforms a body to clubs of flesh, and I could keep the drowning that neat, that packaged, if I could wear blood like apples do. I try to sit and pray. I praise whatever name I can. God, mercy. Make me hands of little fingers. Make me pine. God, throw me a line. The drowning takes too long. I dream my body is bald as a Buddha, bald as a child, the bare-fingered children, fingered by all the cool, cold hands that go fingering. Yes, I am tired of the bleeding, and no, I cannot swallow even this bit of brown bread. So mutts, pack rats, dirty dogs, here is my throat. If there are bones you cannot swallow, leave teeth marks. If everywhere I went, lamb, you would only grant me wrath rocks, a cliff, a flight, a leap. I would leave you then, if only the rush of the wind streaming between my teeth could thrill me. I would leave you if anything could. All right. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.